So let's pray. Father, again, in the holy name of Jesus, I ask you to open the eyes of our understanding. Truly, Spirit of God, guide us into the truth concerning this whole powerful truth of yours that your apostle Paul spoke to so strongly as did your son about us walking in love. Please do not allow it to be something that's just some idle little passive thingy. May we see the power of it. May we see the force of it. May we see what you see in it that produces what you want it to produce in our lives and in the lives of others. So, Spirit of God, I acknowledge you once again as the only true teacher of the church, and I ask you to take these words and bless us and help us to move forward in Christ. Amen, amen, amen. Now, again, last time I spoke on this, I, we went to Romans 14, so I'm going to recap just a little bit. And again, before I do, I pray to God you do not think me being pompous or something. But again, as even as I rehearsed this again today and yesterday, I was thinking to myself, I cannot. I, I just, I'm astounded that I've never heard other people speak on these these chapters, quite honestly. And all of my years of ministry, now, I'm, you know, right now, 37, 38 years of ministry, coming up 39 years of ministry. And again, this is not to pat me on the back. I'm just saying I can't get over the fact I don't ever hear in conferences and I don't hear anybody talk about these particular character truths that like Paul refers to in Romans 14, Romans 15, 1 Corinthians, what have you. But anyhow, let's just rehearse real quickly. Romans 14, and again, I'm asking you, do not think that this truth of walking in God's love is some minor issue. It is the foundation for all other truth. Remember, love, God, is the author. Love wrote this book. So we need to know his character so that we can rightly divide his book. So anyhow, Romans 14, 2, Paul says, one man's faith permits him to believe he can eat anything. A week one limits his eating to vegetables. Then you jump down to verse 5. One man esteems one day is better than another. Another man esteems all days alike. Let everyone be fully convinced and satisfied in his own mind. And he goes on to talk about how we must not allow ourselves to put pressure on other people to try to get them to bow down to our personal convictions. Now, again, see, it may sound so simple. Who really cares if one eats vegetables and one doesn't? Who really, what, what's a big deal about somebody esteeming one day more than the other and what have you? But it is evidently a big deal because to the point that Paul says in Romans 14, he says you can actually, by trying to force your freedom on somebody, cause somebody to apostatize, deny the faith, basically, like go to hell, quit serving Jesus. Can you imagine? Just because you want to exert what maybe you have truly seen to be a truth to you, but others haven't seen it. And so you can't force that on people. That's why revelation is so important when it, it has to be revealed to the individual human spirit, because unfortunately, all of us first hear and we process information with our brain. But it's our spirit where the life comes from, and he wants truth to be in the inner man. He desires truth in the inner man. So anyway, Paul goes on to say all this stuff, and he says flat out in Romans 14, 15, he said, but if your brother is being pained or his feelings injured by what you eat, then you are no longer walking in love. 
You have ceased to be living and conducting yourself by the standard of love toward him. Do not let what you eat, in other words, what you have a freedom to do, do not, do not let what you eat hurt or cause the ruin of one for whom Christ died. And again, that's where you find these words to speak to apostasy. And again, you go on a little bit further. In verse 19, he says this, So let us definitely aim for and eagerly pursue what makes for harmony, for mutual upbuilding, edification, and development of one another. Now, why would he even have to teach this? Because people weren't doing it. But then he says, verse 20, to me, something that's very powerful. He says, you must not for the sake of food. In other words, I'm going to make you understand that you have to, you need to eat like I eat, or you need to not eat like I not, don't eat, whatever. He, he, if, again, I mean, go back to the previous message. But he says, you must not for the sake of food, in other words, again, what you have a conviction of its approval by God on, and someone else may not, you must not for the sake of food, listen to this phrase, undo, break down, and destroy the work of God. We can destroy, that's what it says, we can destroy the work of God in another person's life, all in the name of our pretense, wanting to force our freedom and our, our you know, what our convictions and someone else. That's heavy to me. I pray it's pretty heavy to you to think that just my, my freedom, I have this freedom, but I can take that freedom, and if I don't exercise myself correctly in front of somebody else who does not have that freedom yet, I can destroy the work of God in their life. Read them for yourself, you know, study the scriptures for yourself. So he goes on through all this, and the very last verse again is a very critical one. It says, but the man, well, he says again, verse 22, I'll read 22 and 23 again. Your personal convictions on such matters. One day is better than the other. Well, I don't think so. I think everybody is the same. Whatever. Your personal convictions on such matters, exercise them as in God's presence. In other words, exercise them alone with God. In other words, that's where you really need to, that's where you release your faith anyhow. Your personal convictions on such matters, exercise them as in God's presence, keeping them to yourself, striving only to know the truth. In other words, if there's always more truth, and he's saying by this, he's saying, you know, keep studying, keep learning, striving to know the truth and obey his will. Blessed, happy to be envied, is he who has no reason to judge himself for what he approves, who does not convict himself by what he chooses to do, but the man who has doubts, misgivings, and uneasy conscience about eating this food. And then maybe each, because of you, stands condemned before God. In his spirit, he feels condemned. And again, you can destroy the work of God. Because he is not true to his convictions, and he does not act from faith for whatever does not originate Proceed from faith is sin. Whatever is done without a conviction of its approval by God is sinful. Everybody has to have their own individual conviction of something's approval by God. Okay? Pray, oh, please, I pray that you hear this. Anyhow, that's just a short recap. Like I said, listen to the last time I spoke on this for the rest of it. But then right, you go right to Romans 15. In the first few verses, 
Paul says in verse Romans 15, 1, listen to this. We who are strong, let's say you and I have been in Scripture for a long time, been in good Bible teaching churches, and, you know, we've got some pretty strong convictions. We've studied. We've seen some things. We've spent a lot of nights in prayer. We've talked to the Father at length. We've done our best to fellowship with the Holy Spirit, asking Him to guide us, to teach us, to recognize His promptings. So there are, you know, there, that's just the facts. There are people who are stronger in different levels of faith, and there are people that simply haven't got to that level yet. But he says, we who are strong in our convictions and a robust faith ought to bear with the failings. The failings. He said, we need, if we actually are stronger in faith, then we have a responsibility. Excuse me, we have a responsibility. He said, we need to bear, we ought to bear with the failings and the frailties and the tender scruples of the weaker ones. Tender scruples, you know, this thing about always looking, trying to figure out what's right and what's wrong. People that are younger in the Lord, you know, they vacillate back and forth between one thought and another so often. But again, it says we have a responsibility for stronger, to bear them up, to be patient with them and long-suffering. And again, let me finish reading. So it says, we that are strong, who are strong in our conviction, that have robust faith, ought to, ought, excuse me, ought to bear with the failings and frailties and the tender scruples of the weak. We ought to help carry the doubts. We ought to help carry their doubts and their qualms and not please ourselves. Again, by trying to force what we know on them, just you have to work with people. It's like Holy Ghost therapy. You have to just do it a bit at a time. Verse 2 says, Let each one of us make it a practice to please make happy his neighbor for his good and for his true welfare, to edify him. In other words, this has to be the purpose that you breathe for, to edify, to strengthen, and to build up our brothers and sisters spiritually. Verse 3, For Christ did not please himself gave no thought to his own interests. See, I, it's, I'm not supposed to force what I'm interested in on you, as it were. You hear me? He gave no thought to his own interests. But as it is written, the, repro the reproaches and the abuses of those who were reproached and abused you fell on me. The part of Scripture, it says a few times in the Bible, of course, always continues to astound me. Christ did not please himself, gave no thought to his own interest. But let me go ahead and continue to read real quick. Verse 4 says, For whatever, because Paul's trying to put something in context there, he says, For whatever was thus written in former days was written for our instruction, that by our steadfast and patient endurance and the encouragement drawn from the Scriptures we might hold fast to and cherish hope. In other words, he said, Don't allow things to begin to cause division, confusion, and all that conjecture, an argument, debate. Now may the God who gives the power of patient endurance, steadfastness, and who supplies encouragement grant you to live in such mutual harmony. See, that's again our goal, to live in such mutual harmony and such full sympathy with one another. In other words, understanding other people who have different scruples and other convictions and what have you. He said, with one another and accord to Christ Jesus, that together we may unanimously with united hearts and one voice praise and glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah. Welcome and receive to your hearts one another then. All these different people, not because they're no less than you, don't feel, don't, you know, walk around with an air of superiority. I mean, like I shared before, all of us are in different levels and you were in that level once. So again, we need to esteem them. 
esteem them. Quit esteeming yourself more than everybody else. Don't be big-headed. Welcome and receive to your hearts one another. Then even as Christ has welcomed and received you. You see, he received you, and I don't know if you know this, but he's possibly, he's just a little more spiritually mature than you and I were. But he received us anyhow, loved us anyhow, cared for us, was patient with us. Hallelujah. And that's how we're to be with others. Now, let's turn to 1 Corinthians 10 real quick, because, again, it's very similar to what he spoke about in, in uh, 1 Corinthians 14. But here Paul is talking about what he's talking about, communion, and the issue then of how um, people then began to be concerned about, well, oh my God, man, I can't eat this. Somebody's invited me to dinner, but this food, I understand, was offered to idols. They got it from one of the, you know, because in those days, like right where the office, the sacrifices of God were offered, there were these pagan temples, and they would offer also different, you know, lambs and cows and what have you. And little local, what we would call a restaurant or cafe, would get their meat from them and use it to cook. And see, sometimes you sat down to eat, and you didn't know if you're eating something that had been offered to an idol or not. And some people, it freaked them out big time, okay? But this is what Paul's speaking to. Uh, again, you'd have to read those chapters. But he, in 1 Corinthians 10, to verse 20, Paul says, no I, no, I am suggesting. Well, wait a second. Let me back up to verse 19. What do I imply then? That food offered to idols is intrinsically changed by, the, by that fact and amounts to something or that an idol itself is a living thing? No, I am suggesting that what the I am suggesting that what pagan sacrifice they offer in effect to demons, to evil spiritual powers, and not to God at all. I do not want you to fellowship and be partners with diabolical spirits by eating at their feasts of these temples. You cannot drink the Lord's cup and the demon's cup. You cannot partake of the Lord's table and the demon's table. Shall we thus provoke the Lord of jealousy and anger and indignation? Are we stronger than he that we should defy him? And then he comes back. And again, I pray that you really mull over this much. Listen to this next statement he makes. Because again, the issue is some are saying, well, we can't eat this. It was offered unto an idol. But see, if time allowed, we'd go to these. Uh, maybe I will come to some of the many. Like he's going to say, he said, listen, we know that there is no God but our God. So food offered unto an idol, even though he just said this about they think it's they don't know it's being offered unto something that God would consider to be diabolical, demonic. But he said, when we realize, and gosh, this is such a profound thing. Again, I hate to, I'm sorry I keep using the word profound, but I don't know what other word to use. But he said, we know that there be no God but our God. So therefore, this was never offered unto a God. In other words, I do not need to fear it. I don't not need to be considered because the Word of God tells me, acknowledge God in all my ways. Whatever I sit down to eat, I need to sanctify it to God by prayer. That's why we pray over food, because a lot of stuff is crazy. But listen to what he says in verse 23. Paul, listen to this. All things, all things are legitimate, permissible. <clears throat> what If there was ever a verse people could take out of context and cause trouble for themselves with this system. All things are legitimate, permissible, and we are free to do anything we please. But not all things are helpful, expedient, profitable, and wholesome. All things are legitimate, but not all things are constructive to character and edifying to spiritual life. Let no one then seek his own good and advantage and profit, but rather each of the other. Let him seek the welfare of his neighbor. See, he's saying the same thing, guys. We've got to look at others. 
and live to be a blessing, not live to be blessed. It's in blessing others that we are blessed because you cannot sow without reaping when you do what God says. Now, let me just go and read this other part quickly. Verse 25, as to meat offered to idols, eat anything that is sold in the meat market without raising any question or investigating on the grounds of conscientious scruples. Now watch, for the whole earth is the Lord's and everything that is in it. And, but in case one of the unbelievers invites you to a meal and you want to go, eat whatever is served to you without examining into its source because of conscientious scruples. But if someone tells you this has been offered in sacrifice to an idol, now watch this. If someone tells you, uh, by the way, this meat's been sacrificed to an idol, then do not eat it. Now listen, out of consideration of the person who informed you, and for conscience sake, I mean for the sake of his conscience. See, it's you, you're you're having to live according to what where he's at, just like Romans 14 and 15. I have freedom to do this, but because he thinks this way, I'm not going to eat this because it's going to cause confusion in his life. I mean, for the sake of his conscience, not yours, do not eat it. For why should another man's scruples apply to me and my liberty of action be determined by his conscience? If I partake of my food with thankfulness, why am I accused and spoken evil of because of that for which I give thanks? So then whether you eat or drink or whatever you may do, do all for the honor and the glory of God. Do not let yourself be hindrances by giving an offense to the Jews or to the Greeks or the church of God. Do not lead others into sin by your mode of life. Verse 33, just as I myself strive to please to accommodate myself to the opinions, the desires, the interest of others. See, we hate doing that because so many people, they want to be the focus of the party, if you know what I mean. But hear that again. Paul said, and this is, we're supposed to copy him. He actually said, copy me as I follow Christ. I myself strive to please, to accommodate myself to the opinions the desires and the interests of others, I adapt myself to all men in everything I do, not aiming at or considering my own profit and advantage, but that of the many. Why? In order that they may be saved. Did you hear that? In order that they may be saved. All of this design of God, this commandment, Jesus, the new commandment I give you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you for by this shall all men know that you're one of my guys, you're one of my disciples. Only defining truth, he said, would cause us to be recognized as a follower of Jesus Christ is his love. Esteeming others more. How, how, you know, again, thank God for the gifts of the Spirit and the power and the manifestation that amaze us and just astound us. But I want to mention, I want to repeat it again. Fruit, you know, the gifts astound. But fruit brings the nutrition. Hallelujah. So this is why, you know, we don't major on that. It's not that it isn't vital. My gosh, you know, he said he would confirm his word with signs and wonders following him. We all want it. But I'm talking about personal character, that which causes you to be a Christ follower, that which causes you to be recognized as a Jesus Christ follower. It's not the power. It's the fruit. It's the fruit of his abiding spirit's presence in me. 
the love of God has been shed abroad in my heart by the Holy Spirit. Therefore, I do. Again, I have the capacity. I can, but I have to train. I'm telling you, this is spiritual training, like one-on-one, man. I mean, this is boot camp, like in the Marine Corps. This is where you go through literal hell and back, learning how to love people who are not loving back to you. But that's all this stuff is talking about. I mean, he. why does he spend so much time speaking to this if it isn't incredibly powerful? Well, it is, but like he said, for one thing, we can actually, I'm repeating myself, I can destroy the work of God in somebody else's life all by me trying to show how spiritual I am. You know, that's just no good. But again, that one verse in 1 Corinthians 10, 23 and 24, just all things are legitimate. Think about the uh, what Paul's spirit was so right with God, evidently. He was a man. He had flaws and fractures like all of us. But think about arriving to the point and place of right standing with God, the revelation knowing who I am in Christ to the point that you can say, you know what, all things are legitimate, permissible, and I'm free to do anything I please. That's actually what's being said. I am free. Think about being able to say I'm free, but see, I am free to do whatever I please, but I choose in my doing whatever I please to please God. I don't choose things that won't please God. I could, but why would I want to separate myself from the presence of God? Why would I want to create distance between Him and my Father? I am free to do anything I please, but not, but what I know stronger than that is that I know that all things that I'm free to do aren't helpful, expedient, profitable, and wholesome. All things are legitimate, but not all things are constructive to character and edifying to spiritual life. Let no one, no no one means no one. Let no one then seek his own good. See, this sounds so contrary because we all want to, you know, I want what I want. And he's not saying that you, you know, don't take this to that extreme where you say, well, you know, I'm just supposed to die and live in poverty for the rest of my life so that, you know, every penny I get to give to somebody else, every piece of bread I get to give. That's, of course, that's not what he's talking about. He wants you blessed. He wants to give you the finest of the honey and the finest of the wheat. But he says, let each, let no one then seek his own good and advantage and profit, but rather each one of the other, let him seek the welfare of his neighbor. So what do we, it just comes down to this truth that, you know what, guys, we are supposed to live again for others. All I can tell you is this is Christ. This is what he did. We're to copy him. Ephesians 5, 1 again, be ye therefore imitators of God and copy him and walk in love, even as Christ loved us and gave himself as a sweet smiling sacrifice. Well, then we come to what's known as the love chapter, and I'll finish with this. We're all so familiar with this. 1 Corinthians 13, you know. But I'll tell you, my gosh, my gosh, my gosh. It is still one of the most powerful things to really meditate on. And again, we do ourselves a gigantic disservice by skimming this and, again, thinking we're so familiar with it that we never have to read it again, or we just, again, through it like that. And it is to, and it is one of the most perfect passages to make into this personal confession. So I'm going to read it again. And just think about this. Paul is saying all this. He, let me read from verse 1, 1 Corinthians 13, 1. If I can speak in the tongues of men and angels, but have not love, that reasoning, intentional, spiritual devotion, such as is inspired by God's love for me, I'm only a noisy gong, clanging cymbal, 
And if I have prophetic powers, like we're really in the move of a great prophetic, I'm really in the midst of a great prophetic and apostolic move. But again, see, this is how you recognize the spirits of people and the spirit of Antichrist, something that's against the way of Jesus. If I have prophetic powers, the gift of interpreting the divine will and purpose, if I understand all, in other words, I'm, I'm sure I got wisdom, man. I understand all the secret truths and mysteries. I possess all knowledge. And if I have sufficient faith so that I really can remove mountains, but have not love, God's love in me, I'm nothing. Listen to what he says. I know you know it, but think about it. I am nothing, a useless nobody. Even if I dole out all that I have to the poor and providing food, in other words, I'm the best giver in the church. And if I surrender my body to be to be burned, I'm big. I'm hugely sacrificial, in order that or in order that I may glory, but have not love God's love in me, I gain nothing. See, love has to be the catalyst, the spring, the springboard. For all of our actions, that's what Paul meant in Ephesians when he said what's when he said that faith worketh by love. Faith is engaged; it's in, it's enacted; it's it starts up because there's there's love in you. You want to do this because of love. I don't want to do this for popularity. Paul said, "If I was to seek popularity, he said I'm sure in the wrong business preaching Christ." But now is when it goes into these verses, and uh, so please. <laughs> Incline your ear to this and really think on it. He says, guys, it's all about love. Love endures long, and it's patient, and it's kind. Now, remember, this is God. He's actually describing who, what God's like. So think of that, and then think of you being the same way. Love endures long, and is patient and kind. You can read it this way. God endures long, and is patient and kind with me. See, this is what I mean. Personalize it. Love is never envious, never envious, nor boils over with jealousy. Love is not boastful. It's not vainglorious. It surely does not display itself haughtily. Love isn't conceited or arrogant and inflated with pride. It's not rude, unmannerly, and does not act becomingly. Love, God's love in us, does not insist on its own rights. Boy, sometimes I want to insist on my own right. But no, it says, no, it says love does not insist on its own rights or its own way for it's not self-seeking. How about this one? I know nobody's been guilty of this. It's not touchy. Now, you've never been touchy in your life, have you? Nah, never. It is not touchy or fretful or resentful. It takes no account of an evil done to it, right? You're, you're never offended when somebody harms you or does you wrong, are you? Of course not, because you're super holy. <laughs> No, but think about this. See, this is what God is saying. He says, he takes no account. Love takes no account. Love takes no account of the evil done to it. I don't pay attention to suffered wrong. Can you imagine that you and I can get to that place where I just simply don't pay attention to that? It was wrong. I'm not going to pay attention to it, though, because if I pay attention to it, I'll start talking and complaining. I'm not going to pay attention to it. It does not rejoice at injustice and unrighteousness, but it does rejoice when right and truth prevails. Verse 7, love bears up under anything and everything that comes, because love's pretty powerful. Love is, oh, and this is, of course, I know that you know this, but please, my gosh, he wants us to be this too. Love, 
is ever ready, ever ready to believe the best of every person. Its hopes are fadeless under all circumstances and it endures everything without weakening. Love never fails. Love never fails, never fades out, never becomes obsolete or comes to an end. As for prophecy, the gift of interpreting divine will, it'll be fulfilled and pass away. As for tongues, they'll be destroyed and seized. As for knowledge, it'll pass away and lose its value and be superseded by truth. All of this stuff he's saying, and again, and I just pray that you really go through that verse. You know, this is about the most I can do today in this aspect of the love walk, but I, I really pray, make it like an assignment. How about you just for the next seven days, teach yourself to speak those verses out loud, that you personalize them out loud. I endure long. This is who I am, Rod Anderson. And this, put your name in there. I endure long. I'm patient and kind. I'm never envious, nor do I boil over the jealousy. I'm not boastful or vainglorious. I will not display myself haughtily. I'm not conceited, arrogant, inflated with pride. I will not be rude or unmannerly. I will not act unbecomingly. I will not insist on my own rights or my own way, for I'm not self-seeking. I will not be touchy, fretful, or resentful. I will take no account of an evil done to me. I will pay no attention attention to a separate wrong. I will not rejoice at injustice and unrighteousness, but I will rejoice in right and truth prevail. I bear up under anything and everything that comes. I'm ever ready to believe the best of every person. Therefore, my hopes are fadeless under all circumstances, and bless God, I endure everything without weakening. I never fail. And that's who you are in Christ. You never fail. God bless you this week. I pray that God's strong, strong blessing come upon you and do you mighty, mighty good this week, okay? Amen. God bless. See you, another, see you next week.